Hello and welcome to the Financial Marketeer interview series. My guest this week is Will Rainey, author of the new book Grandpa's Fortune Fables. In the book, Will uses his considerable experience from 17 years working as an investment consultant to teach children about money. From raising two young children to working in the financial services industry, Will has long been conscious that for many, financial education is lacking or completely missing. His new book aims to tackle this and teach kids, as well as the adults around them, how to understand money and, crucially, how to form good financial habits. With technology shaking up our industry and with people expected to live longer, now more than ever, kids need to understand how to lead healthy financial lives. Please enjoy hearing Will's story and his take on a topic that we should all take more notice of. So thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, first of all, I wanted to start by congratulating you on the, the launch of your new book. Um, so I understand it was launched last week. How, how's that all been going? So yeah, no, my book, uh, Grandpa's Fortune Fables, uh, launched last week, and yeah, it's been doing really well. It's number one in the Amazon charts for kids' money books, which is fantastic, given that's the the main purpose of the book. Uh, and some really nice comments uh, from people who have read the book, and and people showing me photos of them and their kids starting to read it, which is it's just fantastic. It's uh, such a nice feeling. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so I wanted to talk today about the kind of journey that's taken you to, to writing the book, what the book's all about and, and what your aims with it are. So I thought I'd start by just asking you a bit about your own background. What, what's what been your career that's brought you to where you are now to writing this book? So yeah, so it's a bit of a, a tangent. So I actually, my actual career for uh, sort of 17 years was actually working as a, an investment consultant. So I was actually talking and advising some of the world's largest institutions about where to put their money. So that'd be insurance companies, retirement schemes, and even some governments. So I did that for most of the time in the UK, which is where I'm from. But then in 2014, I actually moved to uh, Hong Kong with my the company I was working for. So I got to travel around uh, talking to all these big companies and institutions about their investments uh, all across Asia, which is a fantastic experience. Um, but then in 2019, uh, my wife and I have got two young daughters and we said, look, whilst they're still young, let's t- make some more time for them and make sure we sort of, yeah, get as much time with them while they're young and still want to be around mum and dad. So we decided that we'll leave our full time jobs and move to Vietnam, which is a place that we've been traveling to a number of times on holidays. and. It's just the most amazing place. So kind of as I'm talking to you, I'm overlooking some rice paddy fields and I can see the sea (laughs) in the background. Um, And so I kind of moved from doing investment consulting to saying, well, what do I want to do uh, with my time? And given I was spending time with my daughters, I was like, I want to try and teach them a bit about money. And so I thought I'd use kind of what I've learned in my career to sort of try and teach them. And then from that, started talking about stories and analogies and sharing them with other people. And that was kind of the the birth of kind of Blue Tree Savings, which is the company that I I now have, uh, which is all focused on teaching, helping parents teach their kids uh, about money. So it was a bit of a a life change Mm -hmm. that kind of prompted uh, the start. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, So you mentioned there Blue Tree Savings. So um, what what sort of things have you done to, to 
what, what sort of services does that company offer? Yeah, so it started off just by writing blogs and articles to help parents sort of tackle some of the, the topics that most parents want to talk to their children about but didn't know where to start. So I started talking about just general savings and how to start investing. And so it started off just articles. And then I started working with some companies where I'd go and talk to their employees who are, who are parents who uh, wanted, as part of their financial well-being agenda, which is now starting to pop up on so many companies' kind of agendas, which is fantastic. So I'd go in there and talk to them about how to talk to their kids about money. And at the same time, whilst I was saying, you should do this for your kids, a lot of the parents and the feedback was, that was really good. I'm going to start doing that, not just for my kids, but for myself. And uh, that's just kind of music to my ears. It's kind of two generations in one. Um, but I also then started to take some of the content from what I've been writing in my blogs, which has kind of been picked up by some of the national press, uh, and putting that into an online course. So I've got sort of five videos on my, my website, which is bluetreesavings.com, which kind of guide parents through the kind of the best of the best of my kind of blogs. To, so at the end of it, they can go and say, all right, I now know how to go and teach my kids all the great habits and they'll have all the knowledge that most parents or most adults wish they had had about money when they were younger. Um, and now, more recently, I've got the, the book to help parents, uh, which is a book for children, but a lot of parents are kind of reading it themselves <laughs> and learning some. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so moving on to the book, uh, I mean, I've been reading it myself. Uh, and um, yeah, so it's a, it's a great book, great idea that you've got behind it. Well, how did you come up with the initial idea to write the book? So the actual, um, so since so 2019, I've been writing these articles and in some of those, I've been writing some very short stories. Uh, so it'll be about just a particular topic. Uh, so one of the most uh, popular ones was this story about being rich versus being wealthy. And I had these kind of two characters, one was called Richie Raccoon and one was called Wealthy Wallaby. And they just had these different lives. Um, and at the start, everyone kind of wants to be like Richie Raccoon because he's got like the, the big house and the nice holidays and the, the cars and he has, just seems to have it all. But by the end of the story where they have this this wealthy wallaby who's this kind of character who's just kind of lived a, a, a nice life, but nothing too glamorous or showy offy. But then the wallaby gets to retire earlier and spend loads of time with his family. And by the end of the story, um, most of the children who read it and even the parents were like, oh, actually, I'd rather be like this wealthy wallaby. So I started writing these kind of mini stories to, to really focus on a topic. And I started getting really nice feedback about them. So what I wanted to do is say, well, can I sort of put all these little stories I've kind of put together and put it into an overarching kind of book? So rather than just a book, which is just smashing the different stories together, I tried to find a way of modifying those kind of stories. So it has a bit of a flow and a bit of a, and a way in which when children read it, they go from, OK, I need to understand that I need to look after my money. OK, I need to earn some money, save it and grow it uh, in a kind of nice flow. And so that's where the, the sort of story book started. So I started the book at the start of the year and out of the, so it's got about 13 mini stories in there and about nine of them were like mini stories that I'd written as part of like one-off blogs um, over the last two years. Okay, interesting. And so this, the central kind of story of the book follows uh, two main characters there's Gail who is the granddaughter of the grandpa mentioned in the title and then 
Boris, who is sort of presented as Boris the bully. Where, where did those characters come from? Um, so I think I've always wanted, because I've got two young daughters, so I kind of wanted the main protagonist to be a daughter because I was, clearly I was using my daughters as guinea pigs and they were giving me ideas. So Gail is very much based on uh, my daughters. And the bully, Boris the bully aspect came from, because so with my daughters, it's not money related, but I always say to them, there's two things I want from them when they're growing up. And that's to, to be kind and to have like a kind of really good attitude towards doing jobs and work and school. And so kindness has always been a big kind of factor for me. And therefore, I thought if I had this uh, character who starts off being a bully, but then this Gale character shows some kindness and shows him how to look after his money and gives him a bit more of a purpose, um, then that would kind of come through in a, a sort of a, a subplot of the book um, is this kind of kindness factor, especially as some people have such negative views around money and our oh, rich people are bad and horrible. I kind of wanted to have elements to say, well, it's not money doesn't make people horrible. It's <laughs> it's more about how people are perceived, etc. So that's why I wanted to have these two characters who were quite different to start with. But by the end of the story and the end of the book shows that kind of kindness has is the winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, it, and you definitely get that feeling from it. And so you, you sort of mentioned that that the book is written for kids, but equally it, it's just as useful for the parents. So how did you, when you were writing it, how did you kind of um, balance that kind of, because I suppose you're, you're writing for two audiences in a way. How did you sort of go about making sure you, you kind of balanced that well? So I think it's mostly through the topics that I'm covering got the parents interested. So for example, I, because of my background working in investments, I, I want to show as many people that investing is not this scary or complex topic. And most parents and most adults <laughs> are never taught about investing. So actually most parents have probably got the same kind of level of knowledge as most of the children. So whilst it's written in a story format, it means that adults can read it and say, actually, okay, I can learn something from this in the most simplest way at the same time as my kids. And because it talks about investing, it talks about um, what's one of the last latter chapters is um, your home is not an asset because <laughs> most people just put all their money into their house and think, oh, I've got a big house uh, that will sort me out for the rest of my life. Whereas actually, if you live in your house, you, it's not actually providing you any kind of income. It's only when you have to sell your house that it becomes of any value. And most people don't realize that and they just put all their money and savings. So it's these kind of topics that most parents or most adults don't think about but in this book it kind of prompts them because their children are learning it and hopefully the children will either read it with their parents which is kind of in the, a lot of the feedback but sometimes it, it will prompt um, the kids to sort of talk to their, their parents about these topics but at the end of each chapter I've made sure there's this little uh, retrieval question or thought piece uh, at the end of each chapter that says oh, discuss with your class or your teacher or, or your parents about this particular topic so again trying to find a way in which the kids will then go to the parents and say there's this question uh, and then the parents will be like okay let me find out a bit more and then they'll read the book as well but I tried to make it sure it wasn't too technical um, but giving enough to the parents to sort of make it sound like they're, they're actually learning without being patronizing or, or condescending in any kind of way. 
for sure. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the book is structured as as um, 13 mini stories and it's, it's sort of held together by this tale, the tale of um, Gail and Boris going on this educational journey. Um, what I wanted to ask, were, were any of the stories or the overall story of, of the grandpa and Gail, was that inspired by anything in real life? So a couple of them were. So one of the early stories um, is when so grandpa goes to this faraway island uh, in search of gold and he meets this person called Shovel Sam. And Shovel Sam is actually based on a real life character called uh, Sam Brennan, who was the man in the American gold rush. And he became one of the wealthiest people during the gold rush and he didn't find any gold but he just sold everyone a shovel <laughs> who came over. So he told everyone, come, 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 dig for gold, you'll become rich. Um, and then sold them a shovel and became very rich himself. So that kind of character is built into one of the stories. And the other one is actually a real life story based on how I taught my daughters about uh, investing. So in the story, there's a, a fictional restaurant called the Burger Shack, but in, in real life, it, we were sitting in McDonald's in Hong Kong and I was just saying, I'm going to teach my children about investing. So I said to them, look, we invest some money every month uh, into thousands of different companies via an investment fund. Uh, one of those companies is McDonald's. So you own some of the McDonald's. Uh, you own a bit of the table, the chair, all those people who are queuing up to buy their, their burgers and their Happy Meals. Some of that money is going to be yours. And as McDonald's uses that money to create new restaurants or new burgers, they're going to make more money and that's how your money is going to grow because you own some of that own some of mcdonald's so i try to use that real world story into into one of the stories in the book um, but some of the other stories are just kind of completely made up but where i can i've been inspired or uh, actually gone through that experience with my daughter so i kind of put myself in in grandpa's shoes <laughs> uh, and, and use that for some of the, the mini stories within the book mm. Okay, great. Um, and something else I noticed as I was reading the book was it, it, it uses um, the, the format of the book is interesting. It sort of highlights certain words in different fonts and things like that. What, what sort of um, how did you go about doing that? Was, did you have someone design it? Did you sort of decide all of that stuff? So I've been very lucky um, where I live. There's, I've got a really close friend who's an awesome, so his name's Andrew. Uh, Salisbury so if his Twitter handles like tickle pictures if you're on Instagram and he's just amazing and he just helped me out so much with the design um, so the front cover apart from the characters so all the illustration of characters were done by uh, an illustrator in Brazil but my friend Andrew he just made the book look so much better than I ever could so for example each chapter uh, has chapter one, chapter two, but they're all a different banknote from a different country around the world. And so he just designed that for me. Um, and the sort of quotes at the end of the book, so the grandpa says, never forget, <laughs> and the kind of key message, all those kind of little design uh, features are, are all his great work. But also, because I've got two young daughters, we've got a lot of children's books, so kind of inspired by some of the designs of like David Walliams, where he has the different fonts, uh, different sizes so I was kind of inspired and I did a lot of that the, the fonts within the text was largely my own but the sort of uh, illustrations and design work at the start and end of each chapters were were all done by a, a very close friend who I'm very grateful for mm. okay interesting um, so 
something else I wanted to talk about was that, that there's an interesting quote in the book where the character Gail says, um, this isn't taught in school. I'm not sure why schools don't teach kids about starting their own businesses. And that, I think from what, you, what you've already spoken about, that that's perhaps one of the key problems is that nobody's really taught this stuff um, officially at any point in their lives. Is that kind of what you're trying to solve? Yeah, 100%, yes. So, two, well, two bits for that. One is, yeah, it's just not taught in schools, um, in most schools anyway. Sorry, there are some schools who are doing this, but it's not taught uh, mostly. Um, but the other part is that I do believe that even if it was taught in schools, it should also be taught at home because there's two different parts of being good with money in my mind. There's kind of financial knowledge. So that's like kind of knowing what is inflation, what is tax, what is debt, what is investing. And that's good knowledge. But sometimes good knowledge doesn't always lead to different outcomes. And the analogy I, I use very often is to say we all know a doctor who's overweight or a doctor who smokes. <laughs> These are the most knowledgeable people about health, but yet still have bad habits. And that's where the other part of money comes in. It's about behaviors and having that kind of goal. So even when I have seen uh, schools doing um, financial education, a lot of it is on the knowledge side. Whereas the other part is about, right, what's the difference between rich and wealthy? So having that kind of purpose for money but then also talking about actions. So in the book, I talk about Gail having pocket money and, and using that to sort of form a habit of saving one out of every $10 that she ever receives. So from a young, young age, she's getting into a habit. And to do those habits um, requires practice and a kind of continuity. And I think you can only really get that if you're doing it at home. And hence why when I started doing Blue Tree, it's very much focused not just going directly to the children, but to talk to the parents who can then help their their children because it needs to have that ongoing conversation, uh, focus on behaviors and uh, habits and mindset, not just on knowledge. And I think that has to come from the home. So, yeah, it's kind of combination. It's not being taught in schools, but even even if it was, I think teaching kids about money at home is so important. And what I've seen also is if parents do talk to their kids about money, there's a, a catalyst for them to start looking after their own money. They want to be a good role model for their children. And that's fantastic to, to hear stories where that has happened. Absolutely. Um, something else, I suppose, uh, that's just occurred to me is you've, you've got probably a unique perspective having lived in Hong Kong and now Vietnam and having come from the UK, are there any cultural differences you've noticed in how money and education, financial education is treated? Or is it is it kind of equally poor in both places? So in terms of financial education, so Hong Kong versus uh, the UK is probably the biggest one. Um, so there's no much difference in terms of the amount of financial education that is is there. Um, pretty pretty low in the amount that's being offered but there is a difference in in terms of culture and mindset towards money so in uh, mostly in Hong Kong and sort of uh, most of Asia I'd probably say there is a definite more savings type of mindset um, so children went in say Hong Kong and China they have uh, the Lunar New Year and they get these red packets which have some money in them and most parents will take most of that money and put it away somewhere, either in a bank account or invest it on behalf of their children. 
So there is this kind of natural money isn't just for spending. Whereas in the, in the West, <laughs> there is much more of a, if children get some money, the first question they get asked is, what are you going to go and buy? <laughs> and there's this natural tendencies for children to sort of see money just for spending. So that's more of a cultural thing rather than an education piece. But my other perspective is being in Vietnam, where especially because of COVID, there's, there's just not been people here just don't have much money. It's a very much a developing market, especially because we're not in one of the two big cities. And I think this has been fantastic for my children because the people here are some of the most happy, joyful people, helpful people we've ever met. And I just love the fact that my children are getting to experience this bit where they're interacting with a different culture, different people who don't have much money, but yet are super happy. <laughs> and therefore not seeing this link between money and happiness, uh, which I think is going to be hopefully stick with them for as they grow up into into adulthood. Because I think that's just a, a super powerful message. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, who, in your opinion, who's you've already sort of touched on this, but whose job should it be to provide financial education? Obviously, there's, there's schools, there's people at home. Um, perhaps later in life, there's also perhaps um, the, the finance industry itself. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on all of those those levels? Who should be responsible for this stuff? Yeah, so ultimately, I think it's going to have to be uh, the parents, um, just because at the moment that there, there isn't the other resources available. In time, I think there's going to be a, a bigger and bigger push to have um, children at schools uh, teaching kids about money. I think it's just such a, an important part of life, especially as um retirement for example back in the, the sort of baby boomers age where they had the defined benefit retirement schemes most people didn't have to think about saving too much it was kind of done for them but now that's not the case people are going to have to look after their own retirement and be self-sufficient more so than ever before especially for our the younger generation who are going to live to to 100 plus uh, expected life they're going to have so much time in retirement that they're going to have to make that money look after it and the government probably doesn't want to be looking after them because they're going to be living so long so therefore there's going to be more incentives for the government to put more financial education into schools which would be fantastic um to the last point about um other cor corporations and financial institutions we are starting to see more uh financial institutions starting to talked about financial education which is fantastic and I think as long as it's coming from a, a good place of seeing financial education to actually educate rather than to try and educate into a product <laughs> or a solution which is always a bit of a, a criticism of some of the financial institutions but from what I've seen uh, especially from some of the startups but even the, the likes of in the UK, like the NatWest and Rooster Money linking up together, I think it's fantastic. It's really focusing on right, how can we educate kids to start saving uh, more and more. But because what, what I don't want to see personally is that we have these new product, financial products for kids and they're not educated. So one of the, the big worries at the moment is that we have these kind of direct debit cards or prepaid cards for children. And you've probably heard know many of the names so whilst I think they've got the potential to be really really good tools if they don't have the financial education behind them most children will see that as a nice fun toy <laughs> and I know if I was a young kid and someone just gave me a, a, a 
debit card, I'd want to go out and use it and start spending and spending, um, which is more dangerous than if they had just cash and they see that money just disappear. So I do think they're really powerful tools if they're coupled with really good financial education from parents, these companies, and hopefully in schools in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, that ties in nicely to a, another question I wanted to ask, which was we're sort of living in, a, in an age now where technology is, in enab- is enabling all of these new fintech startups to come up with all these kind of wonderful ideas and amazing products. But from, from your point of view, does that make finance and financial education easier or does it make it more risky in the sense that in this for example the, the, the example you just gave there that it, if a kid it has a say a debit card they're not seeing the real impact of spending they're, they're just it's just numbers on a screen really yes so yeah it's got this kind of two-pronged uh kind of mindset about it so yeah what ultimately cash and using coins and notes for teaching kids about money is by far the best because it's visible. <laughs> they can see it and they can see what happens when they go to the shops and spend it. And they can see a transaction taking place. They can see their money they did have and it's now gone. Whereas in the new cashless world, money is invisible, which with technology, can, that, that can be overcome. The amount of technology in terms of being out to gamify education, to make videos and make, uh, teaching kids about more money, more fun and, and interactive is fantastic, but they really do need to have that education before, um, more so than ever. And I think that's the bit that we need to make sure that any new technology that is developed for te- uh, for children has to have a, a huge overlay of education because it's going to need, be needed more so than ever because money is now invisible. So we need to teach them more about this sort of invisible con- concept because there's a great there's a, I think it's on the BBC that one child spent four thousand three hundred pounds on a in-app purchases on a game sort of Roblox <laughs> and they just thought it was monopoly money they had no concept of what real money was they just kept pressing this button on a screen and and playing away not realizing that their their parents credit card was taking a hammering um, <laughs> and that's that's just the technology was there, but the education wasn't. And I think that's what's the, the danger, but the two together and technology has the power to, to bring the two together. And that'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, a question I normally end on is, is sort of asking for advice, the kind of best advice you would give to people. Um, and I, I think in, in for you having written this book, obviously one, one piece of advice for parents is go and get the book. Um, because it's, it's a great start to the financial education. But um, if you had to sort of, if you had sort of five minutes speaking to someone and you had to give them some, a piece of knowledge that would help them, what would that be? Uh, so I always say to parents, the, the most powerful thing that you can do for your children is to every time that they get some, your children get some money, get them to save at least 10% of that money every single time. So before they go shopping, as soon as they get that money, put 10% away and just make it a habit um, so that when they're older, they'll always just be saving because that's just what they've always done. And it can't be just sporadic. And that's why PUP, if they can give pocket money, give pocket money because then they can practice uh, saving that 10% every time. But if they form the habit of saving from a young, young age, that's just life changing. Um, 
it can help them avoid debt. It will help them make sure they've got emergency fund. It will help them think about how that money can grow. They can see that small amounts of savings over time adds up to life-changing amounts uh, over the long term. So just that little one habit can be life-changing. So save 10% of all the money they receive uh, and every time they receive some money. Great. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great advice. And I think as well as kids benefiting from that, I think that there's lots of adults who um, that that's in, if they can get into that habit as well, <laughs> that would make a big difference. Yeah, and that's the bit. It's it's that going to it's not the the knowledge you know, it's the the actions and habits that you have, and that's what determines your financial well-being. And that's why I say it's so much more important that kids form good habits rather than just become textbooks about money <laughs> I'd, I'd always say if i went into a classroom and said uh had to predict which kids were going to become financially healthy when they're older i'd always say which kids are saving now <laughs> and if they're saving now um, doesn't i'd say that they're going to be saving in the future yeah yeah absolutely so um so to finish grandpa's fortune fables is is out now where can people go to buy it so yep it's on amazon uh so yep just search uh, Grandpa's Fortune Fable on, on Amazon, or you can go to my website um, to get more details about the book, which is uh, bluetreesavings.com. As always, I'd like to say a huge thank you to my guest, Will Rainey. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, please visit us at financialmarketeer.com, where you can listen to all of the other interviews in the series. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>